0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to ninety nine point nine four, the sound of cricket. Download our app for all our podcasts and commentary. Our shows include Red Inca and Double Century, which are hosted by me, plus shows on the West Indies, England, South Africa, Sri Lanka, and India. You can find them all via our social media at ninety nine point nine four DM, or by searching in your podcast or YouTube places for the name of your team and ninety nine point nine four, where we talk cricket. <laughs> Welcome to the Wagon Wheel podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber, and this show is part of the 99.94 network. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience via Spotify Live. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Okay, let's get started with some questions from Patreon. Sandeep says, after listening to MASH and Santoki discuss the future of West Indies cricket, is it better if the individual nations that make up the West Indies go their own way and qualify as associates for T20s and benefit in the long run? Uh, I I suppose it depends on how you look at it. There isn't a massive push within the West Indies for this. This is is like one of those things you see like Twitter cricket fans go on and on about, but most people in the Caribbean, I haven't seen a genuine push to split up the West Indies. Um, partly because what would their best team be? Like, would they be good in any particular format? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that they would have a team that would regularly crack the top 10 um, on their own. You know, obviously Trinidad would be pretty good in T20. Barbados, well, at some stages, Barbados was the, uh, the test team. So that may be roughly the same, but it won't always be at that level. Jamaica have had some very good teams over the last couple of years um, and, and struggled at times. Guyana probably on the back end of of the associate teams um, at best. Again, I'm not sure what the benefit would be. They would have less money. Um, we would see their best players less in um, in, in the mainstream. Um, I, I don't I don't see what their positive spin on it is. Um, you you hear this all the time. I, I find it really weird. Like people say things along the lines of. Um, well, you know, we shouldn't have a team made up of all these um, multiple islands put together. It's called the England and Wales Cricket Board. Um, we may call it the ECB, but kind of in the name. Uh, and when when you look at uh, Ireland, of course, as well, it's uh, it's uh, Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland playing in that uh, playing as a cricket team. They do the same in rugby as well. Um, so I don't know. I don't have a problem with the West Indies going ahead. Look, I, I think they've, they're going to have problems. If they split up, they're going to have masses of problems. You're going to see smaller islands um, like, you know, Grenada and St. Kitts and St. Lucia, um, you know, um, I really struggle. Like I wonder how cricket survives there outside of the way that it does in perhaps places like Bermuda. Yeah. Um, Maybe it actually helps in, if that happened. It was help in some ways. It would beef up the um, associate cricket um, standards. I mean, they're already really good, but, you know, adding maybe five teams who would rank between the 10th best and the 20th best team uh, in the world would actually, you know, would mean that we would have more balance all the way through. Um, and, and also, be, you know, for uh, – you've got proper cricket infrastructures in those places to begin with. So it's not like other associate teams that sometimes get good before they have proper structures around them to really help them. Uh, But yeah, it's mentioned a lot. I can't see how it's a huge advantage to cricket in that region if it happens. If we go down the the route where international cricket is less and less important, which is where we're going, um, from that perspective, I suppose you would say, well, they might as well play for their own countries um, but they do play for their own countries of course just in regional competitions not internationally uh so i'm not sure i'm not sure if it if it helps anything uh it seems to bother some people that the west indies is like that but it doesn't seem to bother anyone that england and wales um are combined and that uh, uh that uh, ireland and northern ireland are, are combined so i'm not sure why the west indies specifically bothers people more uh, there's lots of quirks of International sport, and because of uh, because I, I mean, this is a, is a lovely one because in some ways the Caribbean is such a diverse place and has so many different uh, parts of it, but they are sort of bound, um, in, in, you know, in in a couple of key ways, and cricket is one of them. And it would be a shame if that ever fell apart. But you know, if the islands themselves decide not to do it, then that's more than fine. I don't have any problem with that. But usually, this comes from uh, conversations on on Twitter and Reddit less so from the actual islands themselves from what I can tell Aditya says what's your assessment of Ashdeep Singh he was quite impressive in the Australian conditions with the new ball new and old ball do you think he's condition specific bowler and how do you see his death bowling? Well, he can't be condition specific being that he's been very good in um, the IPL in India and UAE, I suppose, uh, and in Australia. So those are three different kinds of conditions <laughs> almost automatically. Uh, so from that specific, uh, from that area, look, I, I thought he was a very limited player when I first saw him. You see these young Indian bowlers come through in the, in the IPL sometimes and they get really hyped up. I forget who the guy was years ago or last year. Was it the uh, Rajasthan bowler perhaps? A lot of hype, and you look at him going, okay, but I'm not sure that his numbers are, pretty, are that good and he's going to be around. And I've been following that, has happened a lot with Indian bowls. They come in, they have one season. Generally, they get attacked more, so they take more wickets. Um, and sometimes when they're bowling really well, that leads to a drop in economy as well. But more often than not, they usually have either a very low economy or a very low average. But you probably, outside, you know, some specific bowlers in the world you're probably gonna want to have both of those be quite good and if it's only one that might just mean that you've just had 10 games where you know you've had a couple of catches taken or you know a couple of guys have holed out usually when they wouldn't hold out or you know even some lbw decisions whatever it may be just general luck that you get in t20 games over a short sample period he seems to be to me someone who just gets better so i thought he was a interesting death option because he does get good revolutions on the ball and because he's a left armor and the way he bowls he kind of makes you hit to awkward areas non-power areas in a way that perhaps other left arm bowlers don't always do uh so i thought that was an advantage he had and didn't really seem as a top choice for being a uh you know a power play bowler so the fact that he has gone on to be um, so good at at both ends suggests that uh, he's quite interesting. Um, I'm not really sure what the future is for him. He's not express pace, um, but I, I, you know, I get asked about him a lot, and I think he improved a lot. He improved a lot. Sorry, but he impressed a lot of people in that, in that last World Cup. The one thing I would say is he's one of the few left arm bowlers I've seen who can swing the ball both ways. Uh, that seems like a skill that should keep you around for a long time. If you can match that with death bowling, that means you should get a good payday in in the top level teams. Whether he's quite an international bowler, it's probably that just that maybe lack of a yard uh, to to hurry players up. But we've seen you know with him and Sam Curran that some of those left arm bowlers are just getting more skillful now than they used to be um, in previous generations. Craig says, I've been thinking about you and Barrett identifying the England white ball team as the Mannschaft, a Die Mannschaft. Sorry. My German is non-existent. Uh, Despite the fact I watched watched a lot of German films when I was young. I don't know how I don't remember any of it. Anyway, uh, the automated team. Uh, Do you think that resources and management are starting to be more telling in T20 cricket and are the different levels of the top 16 um, uh, closer or further apart than they were 10 years ago? Look, me and Matt have just done a podcast on this, Craig, so you probably, uh, you probably asked this question before it came out. But I think me and him are both in agreement that this is the sh- strongest 16th team we've ever seen in the UAE. Uh, I thought they were good at times. I, you know, I'm not sure how they scale up their batting, but their bowling is really interesting to me. Um, <laughs> even when they gave uh, a random bloke the uh, death bowling in the, <laughs> in the uh, Namibia game, uh, their top order hitter. Weirdly, suddenly it was a bowler. I loved it. Even I've never seen anyone change their run-up that many times in a, in a death-over <laughs> um, uh, of a T20 game. Uh, so from that level, I would say that the overall talent is, is, is lifting. Whether we get to a point where the professionalism and money pushes England, then India, perhaps Australia, just above everyone else, I don't know. We've seen bursts through professionalism before, obviously the West Indies um, in the late 70s. Australia all the way through the 90s into the 2000s. Um, So most of the best teams we've ever seen has a dash of professionalism. So I'm not sure if T20 helps there, but there should be, realistically, you know, Australia, India, England should be a tier above everyone else just because of the amount of money that they can generate through their game. Pakistan has the ability to match that, I think. Um, But a lot of things have to go right. They have to start running their cricket a lot better. but but I do think they have the ability to match that. Um, uh, South Africa was the other team that was sort of on that level and they seem to have dropped off. Uh, you know, New Zealand and Sri Lanka, just not, they can't make enough money at home to ever um, get to that level of professionalism. So I, I don't know, but I think you're still gonna have, I think you're still gonna have situations where we have golden generations. I think you'll still have uh, situations where even the best teams with all, everything that you, they do, can't get the most out of their players, uh, you know. Wrong coach, wrong captain, bad form, slobs at the wrong time, uh, you know. Injuries, whatever it may be. So I do think that, but but yes, in professional sport, at a certain level, money just makes the biggest difference in in the world. So there's that great study, Craig, that was done. I can't remember who 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 put it up. It might have been Professor Ross Tucker, the South African um, scientist. Um, uh, but if it wasn't him, it was someone else, that, and he maybe he shared it, but I remember reading it in a book as well, that the, when you actually take away all the scientific uh, advancements when it comes to running tracks and running shoes and um, uh, and a few of uh, the costumes that people wear when they're running and all those sorts of things, you know, Usain Bolt and um, Jesse Owens aren't that much different in speed. When you start to factor in then what the difference is for some of these players, you know, you go back to the the, the Bangladesh thing, They've got the people, they've got the passion. They don't have the facilities. And, you know, you talk to Mohammed Issam and he makes jokes about how they still don't have any bowling machines in that country and that the the average pitch conditions of that people are learning on are just not at the level that they need to be. It's hard to overcome those things. It just is. Um, and it's a huge advantage to, you know, to, to be brought up in some of these other cultures. It's one reason why South Africa continually probably considering the amount of people in their country that play cricket overproduce it's because if you can go to one of those uh, private schools one of those top schools the facilities and the coaches are incredible uh and you know then and then you've got the you know years and years of um, knowledge that is being passed down as well so money does matter and we, if you want to see that in cricket, the best way to look at it is how many batters come from, uh, you know, better socioeconomic background than bowlers do. Um, batting is a skill that you need the expensive equipment for. You probably need to grow up on good wickets. Uh, you need probably more technicians to be able to help you from a coaching perspective. So uh, it would make sense that that would bleed over into international cricket. And we've seen it uh, before. So um, I don't know if T20 specifically is the problem. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think there might be – I don't think it will affect, let's say, Nepal, UAE, um, I'm trying to think of some – Papua New Guinea, some of those other teams who are like, let's say, 15 to 20. I'm not sure it will affect them as much as it will affect, you know, the teams just below that, where the big three teams are probably headed. Uh, Renee says, should the Champions League be brought back? Well, no one wanted it the first time, Renee, um, except for apparently me and you. Uh, <laughs> uh, especially now since we have some strong leagues like the 100, the CPL and the PSL. Well, look, the first problem here is that the PSL are probably not going to be in a Champions League because they're not going to want Pakistani teams in it because they're going to try and get money out of India. So there's the first issue there. So, so from that perspective, it's not going to come back. It's a great idea I think now it's probably it, its time has already passed as a, as a as a as a region to start, and by that by that what I'm trying to say is that if you look at the IPLs now so much better than the other leagues, and perhaps the PSL is the only other one that can have a at the moment anyway can have a realistic chance of being at that level, and and maybe the hundred as it um, develops a little bit more uh, that it's almost. It's almost like, what is the point? Also, was it Kyron Pollard and Cameron White and maybe Dirt Nannis? they all qualified for like four different teams. That's still gonna happen. And of course you're gonna go play for your IPL franchise. Um, And then you've got the situation where IPL franchises might own two teams in it. I think it's a great idea and I'd love to see it happen. But I think the IPL is too big. If it's going to happen, it almost has to happen at that level underneath the IPL, which I think is what you get in uh, European basketball, I think might be one place where you see something like this. You know, it's obviously not the NBA teams. It used to be called the McDonald's Cup or something. It's probably changed names a hundred times now. Um, But you used to get a lot of good teams out there. But it wasn't. it, It just, it never quite bit you know, the Champions League is a little bit different in that the Premier League might be slightly better than, this, you know, um, uh, the Spanish League or the German League or the Italian or the French or whatever else. But the, overall, you still have, you might, the, the best player in the world might be playing in the French League, or might be playing in the German League or, or in the Spanish League. That's not the case in cricket. And and so I think it just gets a little bit messy, but the, the basic idea is fine, I think. and And I would still watch it. Whether they get enough money to make it worthwhile, would be the key thing, um, and that would be my question. Uh, Renee also asked, have you followed the IPL trades? Of course I followed the IPL trades. Are we doing a video on it, but very quickly, uh, who do you think had the best trade window? <laughs> I mean, they're not trades, is the first problem. I think there was one actual trade, which was a Ashadul Thakur for, wait, um, right, was just looking him up. Young All Roundup, what's his name? Aman Khan. I say young, only 26 by the time the next, Season starts and he's played 20 professional games, 19 professional games, fact-checking <laughs> matters. I'm not, they're not trades. I mean, Berendorf wasn't traded. A cash, he was bought? Transfer, perhaps, you could call them. I'm not sure why we call them trades. Um, Shardou Takua is, you know, he's a flawed T20 player, but he's obviously still worth quite a lot of money. And there aren't that many players who have his two skills. He's not traded for Aman Khan, who has played, what, less than a handful of T20 game uh, IPL games in his life. Um, and so I think they're, they're structured the wrong way. Also, think if you have Lockie Ferguson or Shardul Thakur, or who's the other? Uh, or, uh, no, those are the two main ones. If another team wants them, you've got to get more out of them than a random 26-year-old, who may be a good player, um, or Cash right? You have, you have something that another team wants. You should be trying to maximize that. And for whatever reason, IPL teams either don't seem to understand the best way to, to work the trades at the moment, or there's so little market for it. But it's like, why would you give, if, if, if they're desperate for Shardul, fine. Uh, give, us, give us, you know, three young prospects. We'll take Aman. We, we quite like him. He might fit into our spot next year. He might be you know, if we're lucky enough, we can get five or six games out of him. Who, who's a couple of young prospects here? Because Shardul is worth something in this league. And to be able to let him go for cash, which your owners already have a lot of, um, and one prospect doesn't really make any sense. And so I get frustrated with that. Plus, of course, as usual, um, Mumbai has just been gifted another talented left arm, uh, seam Bowler. But nothing not for nothing for cash but for nothing. i mean rcb's big p- part of that is what that they have more money to spend at the auction and that they don't have to go up against another team for another seamer. but that other but mumbai was probably going to go after berendorf anyway so i'm not even sure that completely works um uh, i suppose yeah i i don't c- completely understand i i th- think in a league where you're all in the same tier as in there's not a West and a North and an Atlantic division and a West division or anything like that, right? You're all in the same tier. The idea is to get the most out of the, the, the squad that you have, even if you don't want those players, but also to make sure that you're making it hurt on the other side. And just taking money off Mumbai's own, owners is exactly what they want to do. They've just bought another left arm seam bowler um, as backup if Trent Bolt gets injured. And yeah. No, it's not good. Um uh, Kennedy says how do payments for contracts work? Does a player get paid even if he or she never gets picked in the IPL uh get um or gets injured halfway through the season? Did Archie get paid last year? Um all leagues are slightly different. Generally, if you're available for the entire tournament, um you will you will get that payment, but I don't know exactly how each individual IPL contract works. If you're injured though, generally you do get paid out for the entire contract. The only contracts I really understand were of course the CPL ones um, and they were guaranteed. But what you would do is you would sign a player, you know, knowing how many weeks they were available for, how many games they were available for, and then kind of work it out on a pro rata basis. But if you don't pick them, you know, you've still paid them. uh, You've already got a contract for them. I would assume that the IPL is similar to that, um, but I I've never had a IPL contract in front of me or a PSL contract or a Big Bash contract in front of me. Um, but generally, the way that I've dealt with it from an outsider perspective is, let, let's say a team will come to me and go, Jared, I, you know, we need a leg spinner, and I'll go off and give them five leg spinners, and I'll hook them up with a player, and they'll generally say we have forty thousand dollars to spend, or twenty thousand dollars to spend, or five thousand dollars to spend, and then they will and they will get. Uh, they will have a look at my list, and they will go to the agents directly and say, "We've got this much money." That is usually guaranteed either either way. IPL, I'm not sure because I've, I've got a feeling there's, there's some weird other parts of the IPL. But as far as I'm aware, generally most of the deals I hear of, either through agents or you know uh, through teams directly, we're offering this person this m- amount of money for this time, um, and you know, injury or no injury, they get paid. Um, and, uh, the whole injury stuff is really interesting as well, because I remember Tamal Mills told me uh, on a podcast where he had, he got injured. I want to say in the IPL, but it may not have been, but actually, because he was still on contract at Sussex, it was Sussex who paid for his rehab. Um, and so when you're a freelance cricketer, that's a little bit trickier. And so some of them have other deals. But it's one reason why a lot of cricketers don't go freelance is because of the Uh, insurance costs health costs rehab costs that you need uh, as a professional player obviously far higher than you know far higher than I had for my arm for instance despite the fact that was a bigger injury than some of those guys have Um, so yeah so it works in a slightly different way surf says uh given how brilliant your double century podcast is well I don't take it uh the, I, I'm given, I'll accept it. Uh, is there a possibility for all these episodes to be published as a book? Well, surf, I've already published a book. Uh, so if you go uh, you can find um, uh, uh, Test Cricket, the unauthorized biography is still around somewhere. I think you're in Australia surf, so it should be there. Um, yeah, I think we I tried to get the last season published, uh, which was uh, the the history of the first time that teams had ever beaten England. it was a really good season. Really proud of it. Um, uh, It probably wasn't last season. It was probably a couple seasons ago now. And couldn't get it done. I found it really hard recently to get Cricket Books published in the UK. Um, And my audience is so spread out that it's tricky because I'd have to be with a publisher that really wants to sell books in India, Australia, England, South Africa, uh, New Zealand, um, Sri Lanka. And that's not really how book publishers work. Uh, But I still, yeah, I, I think... Uh, we're looking at a couple of options for Double Century going into the future. Uh, the, one is books, but the other one is documentaries as well. Uh, it's something we'd really like to be able to do, uh, you know, perhaps animate some of these um, series, maybe get some other experts on to talk about them as well. It's just a bit tricky as where I am at the moment. I'm kind of given up on books. I do have a literary agent, and every time I offer him um, an idea, he just says that uh, cricket books don't work. I don't know if it's mine or, or whatever else it may be. Um, so I, I'd still like, I actually, I think I contacted a publisher about that double century one and they were really keen to have an idea from me. And then I gave them that idea and never heard back from them. So um, I'm assuming that's a no, uh, I didn't push it maybe as far as I should have. Uh, but yeah, I think I I was writing them down um, at once age. I mean, there are scripts, so there are bits that need to be changed. And, and also, you know, I fix them in the edit sometimes. Um, and I fit, I, I put a, f- a bunch of them up on my emailer, but, Especially now, there's so many, I just don't have the time to be able to do that. But with all my content, I'd like it to be used in other ways. So, um, yeah, I think going forward, we'd really like to be able to look at that sort of thing. It might even be a case going forward of starting my own publishing company or partnering with another uh, publishing company to be able to go ahead. Because the kind of books that get written in cricket, I still think could be a lot better than they are. Um, You know, there's a fantastic book written on. 1960, 61 series, I can't remember which series it was, but the England's tour of the West Indies, which uh, I had a podcast episode on. And um, I think that there's a lot of great topics out there like that, Uh, like the Bob Appleyard book um, that should be covered a lot more so that we know more about the actual history of our game. Um, And yet every year there's a new book on on Yorkshire, Uh, (laughs) several new books on Yorkshire cricket. so I do think there, there should be something else out there that's better uh, than what we currently have. Ian says, uh, can you see a positive coming from the West Indies World Cup debacle? Is this a chance for a complete reset? Yeah, I think that's the positive I would see. It was hard to do a complete reset between the last two because you know you have another tournament up. To be fair, they probably gave it a fair whack. They played a lot of T20 cricket over you know a short period of time. Um, at the very least, their players are experienced, probably not experienced at being good. But, yeah, I think it, it's quite interesting. I'm doing something on India, uh, you know, a big project that will come out soon on India. And India is really tough to reset just because they haven't been that bad. It's hard to, you know, you can say, oh, you know, all the phase since 2014, but you look at all the records. They play a lot of good cricket. They genuinely, genuinely pick their best players. You can argue over individual spots, but you can't. You can't look at that Indian team and be like, you know, they left Andre Russell, Sunil Narain, and Shimron and Hepmai didn't want to play for them, um, you know, or Evan Lewis isn't available and then suddenly is available for the tournament. Like India have their best players available. They, there might be a couple of players. You might say that maybe Bishnoi is better than Chahal and Umar Malik maybe should have gone to Australia ahead of Harshal. Those sorts of things. These are like minute things. Whereas if you look back to 2015 for England, you're looking at it going, what are they doing? This isn't they may they they may never win another one day game again. Um I think that was a much easier thing to reset and the West Indies would be should be easier to reset from from a similar perspective. Um I don't expect them to suddenly be a lot better though in a short period of time. Christopher says, because Australia has so much experience franchising sport, how do you think this will play into the Sorry, Christopher? I got my lights right behind the screen and it's dark today. So um I can't read. Because Americans have so much experience franchising sport. How do you think this can play an advantage of Major League Cricket compared to other leagues? Yeah, I think one thing I've noticed over the last couple of years, like I went to America in 2012, 11, 12, must have been. I did something for Crick Info and I toured around America um, uh, interviewing a bunch of people one thing I really realized is how quickly their fan bases would attach to new teams. I remember being in places like Portland and Seattle um, and they had a real strong football, you know, um, basis. And I've seen that again with WNBA and, uh, you know, other, you know, I suppose New Orleans Pelicans and, you know, all these sorts of things of uh, new, new sports teams in America do seem to pick up better just because people kind of, you have a look at American sports, professional sports, and you have a look at college, like college is still really big. And part of the reason is that you can't have a big team in like every, um, city. So, so, you know, the, the big, the big cities are going to have all the, you know, four or five professional different professional sporting teams, but a lot is, a lot of the others aren't. Um, and so there's a real, you know, probably desire for those Americans to go and, still see something in college sports obviously fills a hole, um, in, in, you know, in basketball occasionally, but mostly with American football. And so does minor league baseball, right? You know, um, having these the smaller teams out there. And I think that from that perspective, I think Americans are just used to having a franchise suddenly pop up in locally and, you know, that's your thing now and get behind your, don't you know, um, Probably won't work that one with it, but, you know, <laughs> whatever it may be, your um, Springfield Sixers. Um, so I think from that perspective, I, I think America has a slight advantage uh, there, but also because of, you know, the minor league system that they've already gone with, I think that's just a much healthier way of building something up. Uh, you know who the better players are instantly. Uh, There's a sense of professionalism, you know, minor league is it's almost a really good combination of professionalism and amateurism from that point of view. So you've got a 26 year old um, guy who I forget the name of one of the Seattle bowlers who bowls with a really weird bowling action. He's probably not, you know, without minor league cricket, there's no way he'd be a chance of playing for a major league team and he still may not get picked up, but he's got this incredibly weird action. And because minor league exists, they have the ability to test him, you know, in high leverage places, and he may not get a a game for a major league team, but he might slip on um, uh, to a franchise list. Uh, and so, I think they're just doing a lot of things right from that perspective. Um, you know, not the the biggest problem I suppose they have is that until American sport at the junior level is only schools, right? It's other than you know uh, AAU and things like that, but it's basically high school um and then college and so cricket isn't really a major factor in that at all at the moment so that might be the other way of building it up but from a franchise level i think you're right sandeep says after listening oh i've already done that question ian says based on the performance in this world cup uh which players do you think leagues should start paying a closer look to obviously seconda Raza uh I kind of thought even a couple of years ago he was an interesting player, but, you know, with the, the knuckleball and uh, his batting. I, actually, I think his batting has probably been at that level before. I don't think his bowling's ever been near this level before. He's um, a tricky one for leagues uh, if you're looking for a long-term overseas player because we don't know how long he will continue to play at this level. But if you're looking for someone in the next six months to uh, bowl funky spin and, and smack him in your middle order, he's a very, very good player for that. Uh, Baz Delita, obviously, was starting to get picked up beforehand. I think he's improved from where I saw him in the Amsterdam summer, uh, Amsterdam, the Dutch summer, through to the um, World Cup. I think he's got better slow balls. And him taking that level of wickets, I think, is interesting. So I think he was already on the radar. Now that he's taken a few more wickets, well, that might pump him up a little bit more. And we also didn't see the most of his batting in this tournament, but he can definitely bat. Um is it Kartik Myappen, the UAE spinner? I know it's Myappen. I can't remember his first name, but uh, the young UAE leg spinner is a really, really interesting player. Uh, you know, he's hard to pick, lands the ball good, got good energy um, out of his hand. I don't know where he goes on that depth chart of, of leg spinners, um, but, you know, he's probably behind someone like KS Ahmed, um, maybe... Uh, you know, lower level leg spinner, I can see him getting some games. And he might be better than that, but that's where he slits, uh, sits at the moment. Um, and then you've got, obviously, Blessing and Ngava. Um, I think both of those, you know, will get decent franchise contracts. I'm kind of surprised Blessing hasn't already. Uh, Ngava, I just don't – his numbers look really good. I remember talking about him beforehand. He looked even better than I thought he was in this particular tournament. Um, you know, being a left-armer and the other bloke being seven foot tall is quite handy. Um, so those are the ones off the top of my head. Um, trying to think. I suppose Lytton D'Ars might get some more opportunities based on that uh, one innings, which is sometimes how these things work. Um, trying to think if there are any major players, uh, sorry, major team players that I thought impressed me. I think everyone else was fairly well known. Um, on the major side of things. I I suppose Mark Watt is the other one. You know, he did it again in conditions that were not as suited to what he does. Um, So I think it's actually a shame that Mark Watt didn't get the opportunity to bowl in Australia for the rest of that tournament because I think if if he'd continued to keep his figures quite low, which I think he would have, I think then people would have been like, oh, this isn't just the UAE. He can actually – he's really good. Um, I think he I, – I see him as a really interesting CPL prospect. I have heard concerns um, about his fielding before from teams when when I've been trying to sell him, um, uh, you know, uh, and his batting. If you're going to get a left-arm finger spinner, you probably want them to be like, – although I, I think he's quite quick in the field actually. Um, uh, but you probably, you know, quite often you want maybe more advanced on that other level. Uh, but I certainly think um, – I th- certainly think he sh- deserves a go. I, I kind of thought that last time as well. Um, Will says it always feels to me that the high stakes T20 international games are played with greater intensity than domestic competitions, including the IPL. Is there a way to objectively assess the quality of a match competition? No, not really. Um, I don't know if I don't know if I agree with that. Rolof van der Merwe is a South African who plays for the Dutch team. Um, he's obviously very invested in the Dutch, but he doesn't play a lot of games for them. Look at how fired up he was when he took that catch. Um, I've seen him be that fired up when he's taking catches for South Africa. I've seen him being that fired up when he takes his catches for Somerset. I don't think there's a greater intensity. I'm... I'm there is something in the franchise leagues, not so much the IPL, although maybe towards the end of the IPL, but if your team's not going to make the finals, those games drop off incredibly because players don't get a bonus unless they make the finals and win. Um, and so, you you know, I've had players say to me before, you know, I'm here to win this, but two weeks in, if we're zero and five, um, I will be checking out. <laughs> and they do. And, and that's fair enough. So I do think you get that. But I think once you get to the finals and they're playing for the uh, bonus checks, they're competitive. Almost 90% of cricketers are just incredibly competitive at everything they do. Um, I'm not saying they don't get up for certain events, but yeah, it's not something that I have noticed uh, when working with them for sure. Uh, Will so you've talked about the use of hybrid pitches. Dumb question. How does... Uh, their use affect the variability of grounds across the world. I think most fans would consider that one of the best things about cricket. Uh, well, hybrid pitches are hybrid, so you can't make the um, uh, uh, you know the pitch in Georgetown into the wacker by making it a hybrid because you're still using fundamentally the the, the grass, the, the soil, um, and the local conditions. So they still have that element to them. Um, I, as far as I know. You might be able to get like a pitch in Dubai to bounce more, or um, a pitch in Western Australia to spin ball with a hybrid pitch. But I don't think we're even there with that technology at the moment. But what we're really talking about, will though, is not you know using them for a Test match, or probably you know, uh, or or for any red ball cricket. It's probably more for white ball cricket. And if we're being really honest, I think that eventually T Twenty cricket and maybe even one day cricket will end up on hybrids, and then eventually synthetic. Surfaces, um, so the bit that you like uh, may not happen anyway. Just because they want to use the pitches in the middle of the ground, and pitches don't do what they want, and they want more runs, and they want more sixes, and synthetic wickets and hybrid wickets are probably can be um, engineered to allow for that to happen. So, um from that perspective, I, I, I'm not sure. But but with a hybrid, there's only so much you can do because you you're still using the pitch. What a hybrid really does is it sort of sews the wicket together. Um, so, it, um, so it can be reused more often um, as much as anything. The problem at the moment is, according to the players, the ball reacts very differently if it lands just on the string of the hybrid compared to just on the pitch. And we don't know if there's a way to make that more regular, which means that they're a bit too paced, which means instead of giving us more runs, um, they might actually give us you know weird sort of uglier cricket. And so that seems to be the problem at the moment. That was Will Cooling. This is Will Will, who says... Where would you bat Butler in ODIs? With Morgan and Stokes gone, he could move up or should he be kept lower down? That's mm. uh, a good question, actually. I'm not sure I can answer it off the top of my head. Um, I really like him from that 30 to 50 over period because the, he, can't, he can't be worked over in any particular way. He's doesn't, I think with Butler, you have to give him a really strong equation and I wonder if he bats at four or, f- or if, if he comes in, you know, at the 10th overmark or the 15th mark or the 20th overmark, whether he has that. And I think it's something that he's talked about. It's certainly something you can see in his red ball record that he kind of needs that equation a little bit more. And that when you're batting really in that early part of one day is the equation is taken away from you a little bit uh, because you've got so long to bat. And some players manufacture it, you know, um, Famous one would be, I suppose, someone like Jeff Marsh, um, who managed to do that. Um, But it is trickier to do. I like him batting from over 30 to 50, and you've got Brooke to come through, who I think probably could bat at number four. Um, They could use Milan in the short term if they felt the need. I would have thought there as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I'm forgetting about um, that's coming through. So I'm not sure they need Butler particularly in that role. Uh, I mean if if you're asking me what I would do my first question would just be to ask him what he wants um he's your best player and if he says do you know what I think I can manage this you know when I was at St Lucia that was kind of what we did with Kyron Pollard like we we had sort of a, a bunch of strong sort of hitters um you know around you know five six seven anyway we were like what we think you would be best at is batting at number four but we're not going to tell you about number four. That's not where you've made your money. Would you be interested in it? Um, and he was. And I think he did he made his first 100 or his second 100. Um, it was incredible uh, at St. Lucia. Um, and, and it worked very well for him. Um, but not always. He's moved himself back and at, at times as well. But I think with those sorts of players, you just say to them, look, this is the position. I don't think – it's not like Joe Root or Steve Smith or some of the other times when players have had to move positions where – we don't, we don't have a choice. We have to fill this hole. I think England can fill that hole without Butler moving, but if Butler wants to do it, perhaps it's better, you know, to be able to do that. I don't think you could replace Butler in that other position as easy as you could replace um, Butler in the four five position. Um, Just off the top of my head, uh, you know, thinking about England cricket, I would think that is the easier player for them to, to find at the moment. But Uh, If he wants to bat there, he might just want to move up as well. Like he might have been sitting there for ages going, wouldn't mind getting in earlier. Uh, Renee says, what happened to Nepal? It's probably the only country where cricket is the number one sport and they don't play in World Cups. Um, I'm trying to think if that is the case. Um, uh, Probably, yeah. Um, They, I mean, Sandeep Lamachana is you know, I, I'm not even sure where his court case is at the moment. Um, Paris Kadka retired probably earlier than he needed to um, in part because he'd had enough of the way that it was being run. They had lots of problems with their administration. Um, they've had lots of problems with just getting good quality cricket being played at a local level. Um, they've, we know that they've produced two, three, four really high quality players. I think sometimes when you dive down deeper, the other you know, they haven't always been at that level. I, I don't know if cricket is the number one sport. I thought Paris said that football was still bigger there. I could be wrong on that. Um, I've done a podcast with him, Renee, if you want to go back and, and listen. Um, but, yeah, I think structure is their one of their bigger issues. Uh, I think in the long run they will be a very good team. Having watched them a little bit when, you know, done some associate coverage, I do think that there is um, – I don't think they're that far away than some of the better teams, but they don't seem to be as consistent as some of the better teams of you know of of that level. And they're certainly uh, they're a way off maybe uh, getting into that level consistently. But I don't think they're that much worse than PNG, and they made the last World Cup. Um, it, it, win twenty eighteen, they didn't make the qualifying tournament, which was huge. They were beaten by Singapore. Um, I haven't checked in on Singapore recently, so I don't know if Singapore is still at that level, but I'm pretty sure it was Singapore who knocked them out. Um, But at that stage, Singapore had a really good team. Like Tim David was playing for them, but even some of the other guys in that team, I I had a guy in the middle order, I forget his name, but um, just a really solid player that you could plug and play into, you know, some better batting lineups in the world Um, and some interesting bowling talent as well in Singapore at that stage. Um, So, look, I think... I think Nepal are there and thereabouts, but there are certainly issues with their administration and their structure that they need to get on top of. They had the Everest T20 League um, for a little while, and you know, I, lo- I know a lot of people went over there, and um, I may have even been asked to work on that one at one stage, I think, um, as well. But, yeah, I think, um, I think there are other things to sort out, but we know that they can produce quality players, and so I think the next thing is to be able to produce a structure that gets the most out of those players at a young age. All right, let's see what we have in the room. Ashish, you there? Yeah, hello, can you hear me? I can, mate, what's your question?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so my question is this. It's a little vague in the way I ask it, but uh, it is, okay, so like, I, it's something which I've like, noticed, like, uh, whenever like certain players come together and they form a partnership with someone, like, I, I they exert a sort of energy into the innings. It's uh, like, okay, uh, take the example of Surya Kumar Yadil. So he's like this energizer bunny whenever he comes into the crease and like, you know, he amps up the intent and etc etc. So cetera. So, uh, like, you know, he scores a very high uh, strike rate and that in turn influences his partner as well to pass at a much faster level. So it's like, it's something which I noticed in Surya Kumar Yadil, the lips, I could say Maxwell also and A B when he was at his peak. So I don't know whether I'm imagining it or is it something which actually, you know, it's like a mindset kind sort of thing. I think you're imagining it.
1: Okay. Um, I, I've looked into this before. It's almost never the case uh, that that happens. It's just that that player has so much energy. It feels like the moment has more energy, but even the opposite. So you'll hear people say all the time, oh, that player is so dour that they um, uh, they bring the scoring rate down so, and so that the players at the other end go out. Um there's no me and um uh who was it was it Amol Daisy I think it was him I, I've I've looked into it a bunch of times just doesn't seem to be true um, I know it looks that way um, but I I just think that when Sky or Maxwell or Phillips one of those players with and those are high strike rate guys but they're also high energy people right. I think they just make things look like it's uh, better. And the overall rate, of course, goes up because they're scoring quicker. Um, but I've never, I've never seen any evidence that a player affects the strike rate of the other player. In fact, kind of the opposite in T20 specifically um, because, you know, what ends up happening. So they had – I remember RCB had an issue with Virat when he was batting with De Villiers. He, he, he was clearly playing for De Villiers. But he was the set player. Um, and so they were They were like, we really want you to do that. The only other thing I know that I know, one of the IPL teams worked out. It might have been RCB, but it was – I remember an IC, IC, IPL team talking to me about it was they noticed a real trend when senior players were batting with players they trusted and senior players were batting with players that they didn't trust, which was uh, – on the last ball of the over, if they're playing with someone they didn't trust, they take a single. And on the last ball of the over, if they're playing with someone they did trust, they try and hit a boundary. Still, um, it's a tricky one to look that up. Uh, you'd have to look it up based on records, really, rather than trust, obviously. Um, but yeah, in, as it, I, I, as so, I'm that kind of batter, not as good as those guys that you mentioned. And the amount of times I've been in partnerships and even I have felt like me and the other guy are flying and then I'll come off and I'll be like 80 and the other guy will have put on 10 and I haven't even realized. And, uh, you know, people will talk about this great partnership that we'll be in, but uh, quite often it would just be the other guy at the other end blocking an end while I'm slogging and getting away with it at my end. Um, And I'm completely, in my mind, I've scored, you know, 50 runs and he scored 50 runs. When I come off, that's not the case. So, I don't think it quite works the way that you think it does, but you can certainly change the way that maybe the bowling team feels about it and certainly the way that the spectators feel about it. But I'm happy to be proven wrong in this, but every time I've looked up something like what you've just said, it just hasn't proven to be true.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a little bit. yeah. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Thanks. Keshav, you there? Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, mate. What's your question? Um, uh, The question is regarding uh, the kind of bad press South Africa has been getting for so long now, you know, never having won any tournament, uh, you know, choking at probably uh, the worst moments possible. So I want to ask why doesn't New Zealand get the same kind of flag? Because even they haven't won any white ball tournament. So, Apart from WTC last year, like, uh, they also reach semis of violence and uh, then they ha- just cash off.
1: Yeah, I know, we, I know where you're going with this. How many people live in New Zealand?
0: I know it's just 5 million, but uh, o- overall in the cricketing world, I'm talking like, why don't people discuss that enough in South Africa more? Like, even in the last 10 years, so India has, has there, been
1: in that. Has there ever been a period in cricket where New Zealand has dominated for 5 or 10 years? Well, uh, they have been doing pretty good in the last decade. Been being, being doing pretty good. I just said dominated. So going into that 99 World Cup, I think South Africa was winning four or five games for every loss. Um, yeah, so there's a huge, huge difference between having the best win-loss record, having a better win-loss record than England did going into the last World Cup and losing a World Cup and being New Zealand and coming in with a 50-50 ra- uh, ratio getting your way into the semifinals or the finals and coming up short. You cannot compare those two situations. It's a ludicrous suggestion to, to pretend that those are the same things. Now, South Africa were the best test team in the world for what, four, five, six years, seven years, right? New Zealand have, were just number one for the first time ever a couple of years ago, and even then you could argue India and Australia were probably still a little bit stronger uh, overall, as good as New Zealand had been. If you're looking at the individual teams, you might still say that they weren't the best team. Are we really comparing that to Jacques Callis? <laughs> to AB De Villiers? Like, what do we be? You've got to be, you know, it's all, about, it's all about what you have done in between. You're talking about most of these tournaments, New Zealand come into them with an average record. That's why we don't care when they fail, because they've already overperformed what we thought they were going to do. That's completely different than a team who is absolutely, the, I, I, I would say, if you go back, especially one-day cricket, T20 cricket's a little bit different with South Africa. If you look at one-day cricket, the amount of times that South Africa have gone into a one-day World Cup with the best record in that previous year is remarkable, right? New Zealand has never done that. That's why we don't compare them the same way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was just trying to uh, find a reason, like good, I also good, thought, good. is it because New Zealand punches about their weight already by reaching semis or is, is that why we never... Yeah, do- it's
1: just that New Zealand isn't the number one one-day si- side for three years coming into a World Cup only to lose it. That's It's just as simple as that. Like, you you know, I, I saw someone the other day say New Zealand uh, chokers, but what are they choking from, Right. Because when you use the term choking, right, if you're talking about India, right, since 2014, you're talking about South Africa through the, their entire history, right? You're talking about choking from a position of power, right? You're not talking about a team who is very good in tournament play, who is there and thereabouts, and maybe not quite good enough to win, but then again, not that far away, right? South Africa, look at that record before the 99 World Cup. It is absolutely It will blow your mind how good they were. Like they were so much better than Australia going into that World Cup. It's not even a, it's not even a comparison, Just absolutely blitzing through teams in a way that I, I, I think it's still the best win- loss record I've ever found and uh, between World Cups, right? Uh, to go from that to losing two games that they were in front of against Australia, um, you know, or tying one game, I suppose, um, against Australia, just that's why that's the difference and it keeps happening
0: okay yeah you know i get that and um can i ask one more mm-hmm. uh, uh, just a quick one on adil rashid like uh why do you think he gets a little underrated in ipl auction like he got a couple of gigs but never got a fair go i mean he also can bat handy like you know rush rashid down the order and now with the performance against India and Semi in and the final, do you think the next option they'll take him up seriously? Um,
1: so he can't bat the same way that Rashid Khan and Hasaranga can. Like he doesn't have that power, right? So he's a different kind of batter. You, you're not wrong. He can bat. You know, he's got 10 first class hundreds. And he could, I actually think, I don't know why teams never used him when he was younger as a power play batter more, because I thought he would have been like a pinch hitter. I thought he would have been good at that. Um, chipping over the infield is kind of what he does quite well. Um, he's quite slow. As a leg spinner. And I think that there's a feeling in India that he's been he might be too slow for Indian conditions. Also, it's really hard to be a leg spinner and sort of push or uh, well, to be a spinner and push through into the IPL. Right. So there are because the teams look at it and they're like, okay, Rashid might be better, but we're going to have to pay him six crore to get him in, in in this league. Um, and we can get a kid who's an Indian player who's maybe not that much worse. For no money, right? And he might even end up being better, and maybe he can bat, and maybe he can feel better than Rashid, or whatever that may be. So it's not its not that Adil Rashid is the only spinner. I mean, I was there with RCB where I was just like, Moen Khan, uh, Moen Khan, Moen Khan, would he have been a good IPL player? He might have been, actually. He had a very good year in 99 World Cup. Uh, incredible strike rate. Anyway, that's for another time. Um, uh, Moen Ali, like trying to push Moen Ali into. Like and that the pushback I got from on Moen Alley, and, and I was like, "Look guys, I'm not being a dick here. This guy might be in the twenty best overseas talents um uh, uh without any doubt and should be a a you know a starter for an i p l team tomorrow, and you're worried that you may not even want him there's a so it's a big part of that, and then generally the even like zampa zampa's probably a better bowler now than when he played um uh, Imran Tahir was on the bench, um, when he could have still played, um, uh, uh KS, um, forward, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys out there, uh, that are good players that haven't made it. Spinners are tough, right? Michael Beer would have been a really good IPL bowler, but I'm not, because he's a different kind of spinner than what you get in India, but I'm not sure it was worth it unless you have a really deep bench. Um, so unless you're sure you're going to play them. Uh, Hassaranga um and Tere Shamsi probably got picked. Well, that's, Tere Shamsi's still not, um, you know, a dead set um, IPL player, is he? And um hasaranga I reckon, was two years after I would have picked him for the IPL. So there's still a problem with that. I think Adal Rashid being English um, is, uh, you know, an English leg spinner, specialist leg spinner, is probably part of the problem, if we're being honest as well. Uh, and we saw a lot of English players get, undervalued and still get undervalued when it comes to the IPL compared to South African Australian players
0: that's why I asked specifically like would, would his knockout performance in this World Cup and even last World Cup in UA would, would, the, would, would these two World Cup performances help him in this auction in December maybe if a team needs a leg spinner but do you
1: think there's anything that we've learned about Adol Rashid that we didn't know before?
0: I mean, uh, I just thought that, you know, performing against India always helps before an auction. I, so that I know that, come but, and-
1: but do you know what I mean? He's been really good for a long time. Like, you might be right. This might just get him a, a deal, um, a, pardon the pun, um, a, you know, at this time. But realistically, there, there should be no scout general manager coach uh, there should be no scout, general manager, or coach who doesn't know how good Adil Rashid is. And if they're picking him because he played a good game against um, India in a, in a semifinal, then, I, I mean, they shouldn't really be in their position. Uh, thanks for your question, mate, or questions. I think that's everyone because James couldn't get through. Uh, Oren says, I was watching a FIFA documentary on how corrupt the World Cup awarding system is. Then noticed that India have ICC events. Uh, yeah so cricket is hilarious because we don't even have an open system to corrupt it's literally they don't even tender it's the whole thing is behind closed doors basically you go to a meeting you say you want a tournament they fight about so there was that period where only India Australia and England weren't scheduled to have any events absolute nuts um that's when when people go on and on about when people go on and on about things like um oh, you know, India gets close decisions at the end and there's two balls and that's against the Asian teams and they're using reused pitches and that's against the Western teams. I'm like, there's actual open corruption in cricket. What you're talking about is cricket's ineptness, right? There's actual open corruption. And yeah, it's ridiculous the way that these tournaments are announced and and done. And uh, we don't even get to see what they're promising or anything like that. And yeah, it's really disappointing. Uh, James says, uh, to host the FIFA World Cup in Qatar uh, is being considered corrupt, but more importantly unethical. What is the closer cricket equivalent of the ICC doing something unethical? Um, well, they gave Afghanistan the right not to play with a women's team when they made everyone else play with a women's team. Um, I suppose that was uh, a pretty bad one. Um, unethical. Um, I mean, they just changed the rules on their World Cups. Look at what happened to the Thailand women's team. Um, Look at what's happened to associates at times who were trying to qualify for things. Um, yeah, I mean, done ethical in a different way than Qatar. Um, I suppose it depends on what you mean, if you mean sporting unethical or if you mean um, society unethical. Um, Oren also says, any thoughts on Jay Shah being the head of finance at the ICC, given he's also high up in the uh, BCCI? Most of the uh, most of, that's mostly what happens. You know, the most powerful person gets those jobs, Um, you know that's he would obviously want to be there. And yeah, it's it. You know, it's not the way that the sport should run. But I could go through a long list of, of the ways that cricket shouldn't run. Um, Will says, rather than a Champions League, what about smaller leagues banding together? I think that's what I said, Will. You might have asked your question beforehand. It's a very big possibility. The problem is, that w- are you going to make, let, let's say, so you've got here England, South Africa, Australia, right? Uh, so you could definitely do that. Is there enough money in it and is it in the right time zone for all those three different countries to watch it? There's no, there's, I've said for ages, you don't need a big bash and a super smash um, and a uh, um, uh, MZanzi M- or whatever it was called, league. Um, you don't need all those. It would actually be much better if they piled them together. Um, and it would have been a stronger league, it would have been more quality. They could have sold it overseas even better. Um, uh, so you could definitely do it with Champions League, but I'm assuming the reason they won't do that is they don't think it's um, going to make them the money. Um, and Will says, Have you thought about self publishing ebooks? Yeah, I've done two books as an ebook, I think, before. I did a um, uh, there's a story called The Lily of Camberfield, which you find on Amazon. Uh, which actually, to be fair, was sold, and then the, the, the publisher pulled out. And I was like, "Well, I really want this out there." Um, I used to flog it off more. I've have, I haven't been very good at flogging off my old stuff recently, so um, I probably haven't um, done that. But um, sometimes I'd put it up as a link in Substack, but I usually forget. Um, but yeah, look, um, I've done that, and then my first book was an ebook as well. The problem is, I think it's a really good if you If it's your main income and you've got a really good book and you're really dedicated to pushing it, I think it's a great idea. I have found that it takes so much effort when you have an ebook to be able to recruit, recoup your money. And so I suppose Lily of Camberfield's, I don't know, 20, 25, 30,000 words long um and um you know there's a lot of effort that went into it i would say i can't remember how much i made from it but i'd say it probably would get me what i would get for three features decently paid features um and it took a lot more work than that and i could have sold it but i was on the bbc with it you know i did a couple of things but i didn't really push it as much as i should have. and um, because I didn't have the time because I was working in other things. And I think that's the thing with the self-publishing that I've always felt hard. It's like, you know, and also, you know, Patreon, buy me a pony, uh, buy me a pony? You should buy me a pony, spider Beat song. Uh, you know, Patreon, uh, buy me a coffee, uh, all those sorts of different, uh, you know, the Substack. you know, so I just feel like I'm asking my fans to pay for things over and over again. And I know a lot of you will, but I'd rather some Publisher reach in their pocket because I know I can sell books because I've sold good copies of books before, um, so I don't think there's any reason why I can't do that. And, and you know, I made a probably you know I'm probably at a bigger chance of selling books now because I can flog them on my podcast and I can flog them on my YouTube and I can flog flog them in my Substack in a way that I never had access to that when I was at Crick Info. So I'm probably in a better position now to be able to do that than I ever have, have been before. But yes, um, I, ha- I have thought about that and I might still do it in the future, but then I've got to get subs uh then I've got to get designers, all those sorts of things you still need um and it is a hassle and it's only worth doing if I'm going to make money off it. I look at what Shea Serrano did, who's the American sports writer and so, uh, music writer um that w- what he kind of does is what I would have loved to have done, but I just couldn't turn my my um fan base into what he managed to do um, and he's done brilliantly with it and That's what I wanted to do when I had Cricket with Balls, the original blog. The idea was, you know, blog for a year, make some money off the ads and then top that up with, you know, a book release at the end of every year. Just didn't make the money that I needed to be able to sustain it. So, you know, I had to go and work for other places and, you know, that led to Crick Info. And when you're at Crick Info, it's hard to write a book and uh, and everything else. But I have had like, I don't know, four books published, right? Maybe five books published. Um, I'd have to go back and count, sorry. Um, but I've had a few books published obviously, um, over the years and and I, I'm sure I will again, I'm a little bit disillusioned with the, you know, every time I pitch a book, I know it's a book that will sell. I know that it's a book it, I, and, and I'm only talking about selling five to 10,000 copies, which is a successful book in cricket. I know I can sell that man, amount of copies through a publisher and I've never had a book pushed properly by a publisher. I've never had the sort of backing I want from a publisher. Um, I had to fight tooth and nail for the test cricket book. and They still gave me a shit cover. Um, so I'm a little disillusioned with the book industry, especially in the UK, but but everywhere really. I mean, one of my books was published in Australia as well. Um, but I just don't think I quite fit into that pattern. So that's part of the reason why I don't do it. Anyway, there we go. Uh, I think I answered everything uh, that we had today. Uh, big thanks to everyone. If you haven't listened to any 99.94 podcasts, There has been some rippers of recent times, especially with the World Cup finishing. Um, You know, I think um, Sandeep mentioned the Mash and Santoki one. That one was brilliant. There's a couple of really good England ones, some really good Indian ones. Um, The South African ones were spectacular. Um, And one of the Sri Lankan ones, uh, the one on... um, Tikshana is really incredible as well. It's exactly what I wanted it to be. Remember, even if we don't have your team at the moment, the more you support us, the more we can, you know, the quicker we can get to having as many podcasts as possible. Um, And if you haven't seen it, I did a a really good video that didn't get a lot of hits. I think after the World Cup, everyone sort of tuned out. Um, But I I was really proud of it. It's about England uh, and one day cricket and how they went from where they were to where they are now. Uh, I think it's really worth checking out. Anyway, that's it for me. I will see you again next week. And uh, thank you all again for your support. See you then. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel on 99.94. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia producing podcasts, Maida Akam producing some of the shows, and Mukunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content.